0: Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian.
1: The golden stallion of the tech world here for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. Sovereign Tech here for you, here for everybody spilling the seed of liberty everywhere and anywhere I can, anytime. <laughs> I, I got a great email from a listener, uh, you know, d- encouraging me to, to, to keep up the great work and to, and to continue to spill the seed of, of, of liberty. <laughs> so good. I, anyway, listener, uh, thank you so much. I mean, she just, she sent a wonderful email. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, just for a quick reminder... We do have, look this up, go to keenvention.info, go there and check that out. I will be a panelist there, also the producer of the show, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy will also be hosting a panel there, uh, both on Sunday, both on the same day, and I believe that's in November, but go to keenvention.info and you can find out all about that. It's going to be a great, great time uh, You know, with with a lot of panels talking specifically about activism uh, and things happening happening in New Hampshire specifically, you know, more so than a lot of these more generalized Liberty events, uh, all of which are pretty cool. Uh, also last week, if you remember, you got a nice double load of sovereign tech along with it. And it was, we released it. We did a pre-release on hump day on Wednesday, uh, of two episodes because, uh, again, Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, we went off to, uh, Michigan for the Midwest Peace and Liberty Festival. Uh, and you know, it was, uh, a, a great time. Uh, you know, Liberty's happening really literally all over the place, all over the world. Uh, there's a group out there called free Detroit, which, you know, obviously I wish them the best of luck. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was interesting. There's also a great, <laughs> I found this game store, uh, or should I say we found this game store where it was called, I don't even remember what state Stephanie and I were in. I think yeah, it was Ohio, uh, in Ohio and it was called control alt elite gaming. Just a classy, classy name uh, for a game store, and it was mainly—I mean, just like it wasn't open; it was a Monday, you know—and then that, and that's kind of usual. Comic book stores run on the same thing, uh, on the same schedule. But uh, it, you know, it—it it, it looked like it was more with uh, you know, like Warhammer type games, a lot of a lot of board RPGs and everything, uh, all of which I love. Uh, I actually, you know, funny thing—I have a you know a a man bag that I carry around with me. I guess you can call it a man purse, and uh, in that I keep a first aid kit and in that first aid kit I keep a full set of d20 die uh, just because you know that way, if, if necessary, I can roll and only take half damage with with the uh, you know whatever uh, <laughs> incident befalls me. But anyway, uh, we got a great story to open up with this week, and it actually comes from uh, from a, a woman who I, I think she's she's doing some some great great write ups on the internet as well as she's recently made some great videos. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit more about what she's doing with the uh, website of the week. Uh, and this is Kathy Reizenwitz who. I I think I think it's safe to say I'd love to have her on the show. In fact, I got I, I need to talk to her. Um, but I I think it's safe to say that she considers herself like myself uh, a libertine, and we, which is interesting. Um, so anyway, let, let's get right into the story. And it's this is from Double Think Online, and of course you can check out the show notes at SovereignTech dot com or at SoundCloud dot com slash Sovereign Tech or on your you know podcatching program uh, or app. And, you know, and you can get the link to this, but let's get right to it. In the course, or Google says what the government thinks, that's the title of the article. And again, this is by Kathy Reisenwitz. Uh, In the course of a class action lawsuit filed against Google in California, the company claimed its Gmail users have no legitimate expectation of privacy. Now, the Internet is in an uproar. Consumer Watchdog, which brought the case and the quote to the attention of the web on Tuesday, called the admission stunning and wrong-headed. Google's argument is hardly a surprise, though. The company's executive chairman, Eric Schmidt, signaled their position in a 2009 interview with CNBC. As the Catherine uh, Mangu Ward recalled, If you have something that you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, Schmidt said. But if you really need that kind of privacy, the reality is that search engines, including Google, do retain this information for some time, and we're all subject in the United States to the Patriot Act, and it is possible that the information could be made available to the authorities now whoa <laughs> hold the phone okay <laughs> that's I'm sure that's a, you know that, that's a saying that's going to go by the wayside but what the hell does that mean? If you have something that you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean,. <sighs> Let me keep reading, and then we'll talk about this a bit more. Uh, in addition, Google's terms of service state that states clearly that for Gmail users, advertisements may be targeted to the content of information stored on Google's services, queries made through Google services, or other information. And Google's privacy policy spells out that users' data may be used to provide, maintain, protect, and improve services, including advertising services and develop new services. Now, real quick real quick, maintain and protect. So at what point to where something you say may harm Google, are they allowed to do something about it? Ooh, these, these are really, really, really sketchy terms that Google's starting to lay out now. Uh, well, not starting. We've actually talked about in the past on this show, how Google does, um, you know, scan your email, to see what are the best thing to, to you know what are the best things to, to send to you as ads of course you can opt out of receiving the ads, but that opting out of receiving the ads does not mean that they stop scanning your emails of course uh, anyway we'll keep going uh, not to put too fine a point on it. But when you look at your Gmail, you see Google Display ads which are customized to relate to the content of your emails, and even if you somehow missed it in your inbox, the practice has been covered extensively by the news media. So it's stunning to hear any Gmail user claim to have thought that the content of their emails is private. Now, it is true that Google has claimed that only robots and not humans read your email, but that's only true until the government makes a request for the data. Indeed, Google's lawyers aren't stating their policy on their users' privacy. They're citing a 1979 Supreme Court decision, Smith v. Maryland. It is a court decision which helped give law enforcement the right to read your email without a warrant, which is now known as third-party doctrine. It's hilarious slash sad that Consumer Reports claims that Google violates wiretap laws in other state and federal legislation because it scans emails to filter for spam, check your spelling, and serve targeted ads. There is no wiretap law a federal agency hasn't already violated with impunity, and I guarantee you it isn't it wasn't to check your spelling. The problem of illegal wiretapping is so bad that two email service services which claim to provide more privacy recently voluntarily shut down in the face of federal investigations. The fates of Lavabit and Silent Circle reveal that this isn't a Google problem; it's a federal government one. And of course, we actually—I think we talked about that last week—about how Silent Circle, you know. You know, went Harry Carey and said, well, before they can even come and get us, we're going to shut down and how now there's companies out there who are putting in their terms of service. Look, if the government comes to our door and wants your information, we're just going to shut the whole company down to protect your information, which, uh, you know, kudos and bravo to those companies. That's amazing. Um with the article, if Gmail users want to get upset about something new they learned through this kerfluffle, it should be that they have no legitimate expectation of privacy from the government. The real scandal here is the fact that, as Mangu Ward put it, the court's interpretation of the Fourth Amendment has swung so far away from the kind of privacy protections most Americans vaguely believe they enjoy, uh, that Google is correct, there is no expectation of privacy. And that's the article. Uh, great write-up. Great, great write-up. Bringing up some very interesting facts, all of which I'm sure, you know, many of my listeners want to look into further. Um, and, yeah, you know, the only, actually, the only communications that are somewhat protected by, by any federal law is the post office. Not UPS, not FedEx. The United States Postal Service is the only communication medium uh, you know, or transmittable communication medium isn't something that can be sent uh, that that is somehow protected by federal law. Everything else is, you know, pretty much up for grabs by any company. Now, I think Google's being sh- pretty straight up honest when they say, well, only robots are looking at this stuff. But then, you know, that's they leave out You know, it's an it's an omission. So if you want to call it a lie of omission, fine, Uh, but it's an omission. But they leave out the fact that, no, once the federal government says, hey, you know, we want to see this person's data, then, yeah, human eyes see it. And it's not robots. Um, And I and, you know, and I've defended Google in the past saying, you know, Google does at least. And and actually, even uh, if you go to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, Google is a four star company for privacy, uh, four out of five and one of the things is is that they will go to court for you supposedly but apparently we're finding out more and more no that's just not true but a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's these FISA courts that have they are a whole different law unto themselves that have nothing to do with this but okay all that aside all of that aside you know, forgetting about, you know, the, these like really fine lines that, that Google walks on a legal standpoint, the, one of the more atrocious things about this is Eric Schmidt's attitude. Again, this is the guy that just before Larry Page took over, you know, again, with with Sergey. Okay. Who, I mean, he was the he he was the pretty much the number one man in Google. And he says, Let's look at the quote. If you have something that you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Screw you, Eric Schmidt. Who are you to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't be doing about anything? That's insane. I mean, what what kind of mentality is that? Forget about, I mean, we're talking about a company Okay. Now, I mean, I like openness. Openness is great, you know, and I like, you know, openness, honestly, the whole business, that's, that's wonderful. All right. But if you, if there's something in your life that you consider a very private matter, what do you mean I should reconsider what I'm doing in the first place? You know, what if I'm emailing, like, I mean, I, I mean, that statement just doesn't make any sense what whatsoever. But if you and then he, he kindly says, but if you really need that kind of privacy, the reality is, is that search engines, including Google, do retain this information for some time. And we're all subject in the United States to the Patriot Act. And it is possible that the information could be made available to the authorities. So, again, I appreciate his openness and honesty, but that, that's a ridiculous expectation to put on. People. Well, you know, hey, I mean. What, what's this whole business about doing secret things? How about Eric Schmidt talk to the federal government then and say, you know what? You need to close the NSA, the CIA, close it all down. Because, you know, if you're doing something you don't want anyone to know, you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Right. But no, instead, he's pointing at people. You know, he's pointing at everyday people. Not on, uh, you know, I mean, if this is true, if you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, then the government shouldn't have sippernet. The government shouldn't have rippernet. You know, go go down the list of all their little private Internet projects that they have designed so that no one can see and to defend communications. If, if everybody's just supposed to be able to look at everything and everything's supposed to be open and out there, then why aren't they getting critiqued? And Eric Schmidt, again, this is a guy who recently wrote this huge New York Times bestseller that everybody considers to be very, very dry. I've yet to read yet that's all about you know how technology is going to change everything in the future and you can get a good idea of where he's thinking with that by going to youtube there there's a video you know you can type in eric schmidt uh, book intro and they actually made like this full-on animated youtube video that's about 15 minutes long if i remember correctly which is the intro to the book explaining you know how the world's going to change um and some of it's kind of positive towards you know anarchist thought but at the same time Clearly, this guy just, you know, he, he doesn't care. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, we're subject to the government, and so we move on. And, and it's just an, in, an insane double standard. Now, what to do about all this? You know, I, I mean, and it, and it is, you know, Kathy Reisenwitz is absolutely correct in saying for people to be, you know, so up in arms about Gmail, you know, acting like, oh, I had no idea that this was happening when, you know, it, it's, it's been pretty well documented beforehand. Um, yeah, well, you you know, this is something that, that we have to consider. Okay. And as much as I try and I I say, I don't want to talk about this, it is actually really important. And the idea of not talking about the whole PRISM scandal and everything going on with Glenn Greenwald. Uh, no, I I think it's very much worth talking about on a tech show, especially, um, you know, as to what all this means. And so I didn't want to talk about it because there's just new revelations coming out all the time, and I figured everybody could could kind of find out about it uh, elsewhere, but I've gotten emails where people are saying, no, please, you know, we'd like to hear what you have to say about PRISM and what you have to say about this NSA stuff, and I think it is important. But anyway, uh, the point I was getting at, is that mindsets, even for myself, I think mindsets for for people have completely changed since prism, you know, since all this stuff that since Edward Snowden released all this information with the worst. Yes. Yet to come, according to Glenn Greenwald. You know, we haven't even heard the worst of it. Um, and, you know, even people like myself, I mean, I. I feel that I was very much aware that these kind of things were going on room 641 a, uh, you know, carnivore go down, go down the list of all these different, uh, you know, programs that, that, that are, are not software programs, but, you know, operations, I should say that, uh, you know, that, that's, that security agencies uh you know intelligence agencies were were doing you know that they were already there but then it really is something when they finally when it finally comes out that yeah no it's an absolute fucking truth that this is happening and yeah i i think people I, like the, there's you know just carpe lucum you know the, the light goes on and <laughs> suddenly whoa you know wait a minute maybe these companies don't deserve, you know, or, you know, maybe I don't want these companies to know all my information. And with that in mind, you know, what do we do? Okay. Do we stop using Gmail? Yeah. Why not? Email was fine before Gmail. You know, I, I, I I know I, you know, I'm very, very much well aware. I get constant beta testing for Google products, um, you know, and so I, I know the new services. I know the great things like search within email, uh, which is something mega is trying to replicate in a more privatized, you know, more, more privacy based email. Um, But, you know, search within email is great. There's all these wonderful, wonderful features, you know, in Gmail, that make it so, so useful and the way it's interconnected with everything. All of that's great. No doubt about it, but you can still use Google services, even if you don't use Gmail. If you're concerned about this Gmail scandal, OK, saying that, guess what? Yeah, you know, we're going to look at all this stuff now. what What's kind of the response to that? It's like, well, any email you use, they're going to look at. But you can encrypt other emails. I mean, to some degree, you can encrypt Gmail, too. Um, you know, so, so at least, okay, fine, they can receive it, but they might not be able to do much with it as far as cracking or if anything, years down the line when they may consider your communiques important, um, you know, you're going to give them a very difficult time in trying to, unless of course they, you know, their quantum computers are up to snuff, uh, you know, they're going to have a very difficult time trying to read your emails, um, so, you know, email encryptions, that, that's something to look into, and there's services better than Gmail to do it. And if you want to keep all your Google services, if you want, you know, I mean, a lot of people, including myself, you know, they have a lot of, uh, quite, frank, quite frankly, they have quite a bit of money attached to their Google account, not their Gmail account. it it, it's under their Gmail account, but that can be changed. Uh, but there's a lot of money, you know, invested and attached to your Google account, be it through various services that you use or pay for, or if like all your apps, because that's what happens. You get a new phone, say your your phone dies, uh, you know, in the next few seconds. And sadly you won't be able to hear the rest of the show, but let's say your phone dies and you get a new one. You just log in with, you know, with your Google account, uh, username, which is usually your Gmail um, and suddenly you can, you know, all your stuff is there. You can download all the, all those apps that you paid for and whatever, and everything's right there. And it's, and that is an awesome service. I, I love that. Okay, I'm not knocking that for a second. Um, but, you know, if you do want to get away from Gmail, that is still possible. You can, you know, you can just change it to where, uh, even even if you have a Gmail now, you can actually delete the Gmail account specifically. Two things you can delete pretty easily on, on Google accounts is you can delete your Google Plus um, profile and information, and you can delete uh you're well with the google plus thing actually it doesn 't delete everything i I might talk about that in a future show um but with your gmail account, you can delete your gmail account and then just have your Google services attached to another email, an email, say, from, like, hushmail.com uh, or from, you know, whatever, like Mega's new email or maybe even if Startpage, though I don't know what's going on with Startpage's uh, private privacy-based email service. That seemed to go quiet. It should have been out by now. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a unviable option. In fact, if you really want to, if you're that concerned, especially, you know, when I read Eric Schmidt's quote about his attitude that, Well, hey, if it's something that needs to be done in secret, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it anyway. Uh, I mean, the turnoff, you know, and I'm a Google fanboy. I don't mind admitting that. But the turnoff of that, I can't even begin to describe. And so but there are alternatives uh, for maps. There's Scobler, which I think in a lot of ways is actually better than Google Maps because it can be offline, Uh, you know, for and it's only like a buck to use scobler uh i mean there's a bunch of alternatives really the only thing you can't get an alternative for is uh youtube you know youtube is a pretty unique animal and don't yeah don't don't say vimeo uh and uh, real quick i actually i just got i actually originally this is an edit i rarely edit the show i run it live but I just got fact checked by the producer that it's it 's Vimeo. <laughs> I said Venmo, which is like a payment service, a, gr- a really cool payment service uh, system um, and, and I, but I mean Vimeo anyway, so don 't say Vimeo because you think, you think youtube's bad about copyright. is ridiculous uh, anyway, and you know so for to the title of, of uh, kathy 's uh, you know, uh, article the yeah google is saying what the government thinks the government thinks that hey if it's something that needs to be done in secret boy maybe you shouldn't be doing it that's what they think about you the peon you know you the ant you the you know the, the the subhuman that isn't uh you know graced with with the title of lord i mean senator or uh anyway Uh, So, yeah, you know, but think about it. Gee, maybe I should get away from Gmail after something like this. Uh, And again, maybe just to take on even the local municipalities. Let's start encrypting the shit out of everything. I'm game for that. Anyway, you're listening. You don't know this yet, but you're actually listening to a bigger, longer edition of Sovereign Tech. I've got more coming up. This is Brian Sovereign. don't have to what what do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off what a bunch of sh- okay okay no you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time but come on we all want to don't we i just who who writes lyrics like that i can't believe it uh anyway let's get back to sovereign tech tech roulette you want to play it is time for Tech Roulette, and I always want to play, and so do my listeners, which is great because you just you're constantly sending in such great stories uh, and also submitting great questions, um, which we'll get into later. We're actually going to end up talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies during the listener email section. So if you want to hear about that, uh, that's coming up. But anyway, this is from a listener. This this is this is really, I mean, fascinating forward thinking tech stuff. I mean, some of the most forward thinking things you've ever probably will ever hear next to say 3d printing. Uh, but it may be even more important than that. Uh, this comes from the MIT technology review and it's devices connect with borrowed TV signals and need no power source devices that can make wireless connections. Even without an onboard battery could spread computing power into everything your own. And this is by Tom Simonetti, uh, A novel type of wireless device sends and receives data without a battery or other conventional power source. Instead, the devices harvest the energy they need from the radio waves that are all all around us, from TV, radio, and Wi-Fi broadcasts. Uh, These seemingly impossible devices could lead to a slew of new uses of computing, from better contactless payments to the spread of small, cheap sensors just about everywhere. Traditionally, wireless communication has been about devices that generate radio frequency signals, says Shyam Galakata, one of the University of Washington researchers who led the project. But you have so many radio signals around you from TV and Wi-Fi and cellular networks, why not use them? Uh, Galakota and colleagues have created several prototypes to test the idea of using ambient radio waves to communicate. In one test, the Two credit card sized devices, albeit with relatively bulky antennas attached, were used to show how the technique could enable new forms of payment technology. Pressing a button on one card caused it to connect with and transfer virtual money, think Bitcoin, to a a similar card. I added in the Bitcoin comment, by the way, uh, to a similar card, all without any battery or external power source. They just made a wireless payment with a circuit board, and nothing else. <laughs> There's a video on here, and you can see the prototypes. You can go to, the, you can check out the show notes, sovereigntech.com or soundcloud.com/sovereigntech. And whoa, um, in that demonstration, the LEDs, touch sensors, microcontrollers, and the wireless communication are all powered by those ambient TV signals, says Galakota. The devices communicate by varying how much they reflect, a quality known as backscatter and absorb TV signals. Each device has a simple dipole antenna with two identical halves, similar to a classic rabbit ears TV aerial antenna. The two halves are linked by a transistor, which can switch between the two states. It either connects the halves so they can work together and efficiently, efficiently absorb ambient signals, or it leaves the halves separate so they scatter rather than absorb the signals. Devices close to one another can detect whether the other is absorbing or scattering ambient TV signals. If a device nearby is absorbing more efficiently, another will feel the signals a bit less. If not, then it will feel more, says Galakota. A device encodes data by switching between absorbing and not absorbing to create a binary pattern. So essentially, saying that you know you can chew, even though you know it's all powered pretty much by the ether. <laughs> you know, it's uh you know, it's powered by all these crazy signals out, you know, Wi-Fi, um, you know, television broadcasts even, uh radio broadcasts. Uh you know, it's powered by all that you can control, you know, what it takes in and what it doesn't. As as ambient as all those things are, (laughs) the device gets the power to run its electronics and embedded software from the trickle of energy scavenged whenever its antenna is set to absorb radio waves. In the tests, the devices were able to transfer data at a rate of 1 kilobyte per second, sufficient to share sensor readings, information required to verify a device's identity, or other simple tidbits. So far, the longest links made between devices are around 2.5 feet, but the University of Washington team could extend that to as much as 20 feet with some relatively straightforward upgrades to the prototypes the researchers are also also say the antennas of backscatter devices could be made smaller than those in the prototypes um so you know this isn't something the technology and that's fine this is new tech all right but the technology's not at the point yet to where uh you know say you're going to be sharing episodes of uh, game of thrones even though you know well i guess people would do that um you know, or, or it, this isn't like something where you're going to have devices that could torrent to each other, but it is sending enough information to where it's interesting. And of course, technology as a heavily unregulated medium, even though I'm sure the FCC will be all over this at some point, uh, you know, advances very quickly to where it becomes very useful and very practical very fast. Uh, We'll go on with the article. Galakota says the devices could be programmed to work together in networks in which data travels by hopping from device to device to cover long distances and eventually connect to nodes on the Internet. He imagines many of a person's possessions and household items being part of that battery-free network, making it possible to easily find a lost item like your keys. These devices can talk to each other and know where it is, he says. The researchers tested that scenario by placing tags on cereal boxes lined up on a shelf to mimic a grocery store or a warehouse. Each tag communicated with its nearest neighbor to check if it was in the correct place and blinked its LED if it was not. That demonstration impresses Christopher Pister, a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, whose work on tiny devices dubbed "smart dust," which gather data from just about anywhere, helps spawn many research projects on networked sensors using TV signals to enable such applications without batteries, is a really clever idea, he says. While Pister and others around the world, including the Washington Group, have spent years creating the technology, the technology needed to make cheap compact sensors practical uh, such networks are relatively scarce josh smith, josh smith a university of washington professor who led the backscatter project with galakota says that being able to do without onboard power could help the need for batteries is one thing that has been slowing down their deployment he says without batteries, sensors can be significantly cheaper and much longer lasting allowing them to be placed in areas of otherwise not uh, not worth it says smith you could build sensors into the walls of a building, knowing they would work years later. Uh, Bashkar Keshnamachari, who works on sensor networks at the University of Southern California, notes that in some rural areas and indoor environments, there may not be enough ambient radio waves to support the battery-free approach. For many practical implementations, an onboard battery may be unavoidable, he says. However, the proposed approach may go some way in extending the time between battery-charging events. The backscatter communication technology was developed by Gallicotta with Smith and David Weatherall, also a University of Washington professor, along with grad students, Vincent Liu, uh, Aaron Parks and Vamsi Tala. Uh, Anyway, you know, there's the initial point is this is so exciting. Um, In fact, there's a quick tidbit on there. This is why it matters. Being able to create sensors and other electronics that can operate without batteries or another conventional power source could lead to many new applications for computing. And that's really the biggest thing to take away from this. And like anything, there's good and bad. And and I will try to talk about both. Um, The good is that this is very exciting. The idea that there's all this just radiation, you know, radio waves and everything out there all the time. The idea that we could just power everything that's already being transmitted out there constantly. I mean, cell phones aren't going away anytime soon. Uh, So, you know, these cell networks are going to be transmitting and new towers get put up all the time and 4G is even stronger. So maybe, you know, that would allow for an even better charge on a device uh, with with things like that. Uh, But, I mean, that's getting into the deeper science of it is, you know, the signal strength. What does that do for uh, the collecting of ambient energy, uh, which we don't know. You know, there's there's a link to a paper here here that you can read on it. So if you're, you know, the more technical type, I recommend checking out the paper. I read it and you know, it wasn't like atrocious, you know, I mean, it's, it's engaging. Some of the, sometimes those papers can just be like, Oh wow. You know, let, let's get done with this. But anyway, uh, so that's the number one thing now. I mean, it's really cool that they're actually using even like the signals getting like kind of sent, you know, through these, um, you know, through, through radio waves that are already there, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a piggybacking that's going on. And I definitely recommend checking out the video that's on this, uh, that's on the page here. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's just remarkable to watch, even though you're more or less just seeing LEDs kind of flashing. Uh, it's pretty wild to see that there's no battery there. And again, it's just a circuit board that just starts lighting up. Um, and you know, and, and I mean, this stuff, I, I don't think this is a terribly new idea. OK, I, I maybe I told this story before on the show, but I remember when I was a kid, we had these huge you know, I was out in the country at this point um, and there was just these huge power line, you know, transform. I mean, these things these these, these things were massive. Uh, they look like giant robots. You've probably I'm sure you've seen them if you've driven through the country at all, because it's usually how they get lots of power to, you know, not so metropolitan areas. And you could take. A fluorescent bulb, you know, picture one of those long fluorescent tube bulbs, okay? Um point it up, just just get near. I mean, and you're I'm talking like you can be a good 30, 50 feet away from one of these, you know, uh, you know, gigantic uh you know, you know, power line uh power lines, and aim it up and the light lights up. It looks like you're holding a lightsaber. It's incredible. I mean, me as a kid. I thought that was the coolest damn thing I, you know, that, that had ever been done. It's like, Whoa, lightsaber. Here I go. You know, of course the, the, the fluorescent you know, tubes made out of glass. And so the, I wouldn't go, uh, you know, hitting anything with it, but it was a lot of fun at night to do. Uh, so anyway, so the point being is that yes, <laughs> the power is out there and it's transmitting out there all the time. Uh, and I am curious how long, this is one of the bigger questions, um, is how long have they been developing this? And I get the sense it's been for a while, and I'll tell you why. And this is where we're going to kind of get into maybe the scarier aspects of where this is going to get used, Uh, because DARPA years ago, and if you want to read a little bit more about this, the only official uh, source on it that I can recommend to you is uh, Ray Kurzweil. the the very popular transhumanist he wrote a book called the singularity is near in 2005 and in that he it's I I really recommend reading that book even though it's from 2005 and in technology terms I mean a lot of times a book that's that old uh, you know just becomes dated but it's not dated and I'll I'll tell you why because he talks about He's the whole thrust of the book is kind of similar to the one that Eric Schmidt tried to write in that where is technology leading us, where are we going with it? And in it, he talks about a lot of really rarely known uh, studies, research being done, and one of them is about these sensors that this article talked about. You know, like these sensor fields where they put sensors in the wall or. You you the smart dust where you just essentially you drop, I mean, just these really like nano sized you know, devices, you just drop them and they give you the complete layout of the land. Now DARPA was developing them. Why? Because it's battlefield reconnaissance. It's so, I mean, or it's, it's, it's intelligence, you know, it's Intel work. Where you can literally, you know, say there's, uh, I mean, you could even like toss a bunch of the smart dust into a cave, let the wind blow it in even. And then you could map out the entire cave. Not conspiracy theory. This is real tech that DARPA has been working on for 20 years at least. And now they can do, now they they've solved perhaps the biggest problem. And, and th- this article outright says it. That, you know, the idea that they, we could just power everything uh, via, you know, ambient radio waves, um, radio signals, I should say, you know, th- again, you solved the problem <laughs> of, of how do you make a power source big enough for these devices, you know, to, to do what they need to do and to stay on long enough. Uh, well, problem solved. So that's where we get again. That's where we get into the scary applications of this is, of course, the military and intelligence applications into where, you know, you could lay the smart dust like everywhere and have all different types of sensors, you know, and, and it doesn't just like one little one little piece of and it literally a lot of the stuff that they've been developing is almost literally dust sized. I mean, it's that small. And, you know, you're you're talking about thousands of, of pieces of smart dust that could go out there. Um, and each one can be a different sensor. So it's not like you have to build an entire sensor suite and, you know, into these little devices. Um, so that's again, that's where this all gets kind of scary because. You know, I don't think they're doing it for Bitcoin. I think it's a great I mean, it's awesome that here you go. You know, now you don't need to. I mean, what, again, watch the video and you can see this this payment being done with virtual money and it's just something they made up, uh, you know, with these two little cards. And it's I mean, it's so, so easy it being done um, that really it solves. You know, that's what a lot of people say. Well, Bitcoin's so complicated, you know, to use. You got to like scan this and do all this business as to where you could just have these little devices that could do all that for you. Very, very simple. Uh, it's an intriguing application for Bitcoin and I hope someone looks into it. Uh, but that, you know, that's not what they're thinking. Believe me, that's not what they're thinking. Uh, they may be to some degree, like they're going to want to turn, because I can picture credit card companies being very excited about this and that's something that'll happen. Uh, you know, where are we cause credit cards like they use RFID already. And this is RFID on steroids, you know. Take that for what it's worth. But I, I think that's not an unfair statement to make. Um, and and so credit cards would be able to just, you know, again with just the ambient energy all around us being transmitted by our, you know, technological world. Uh, you know, you could do everything. I mean, you could go to the grocery store and. Uh, you know, press one little button on it and you're paid up. You know, the two devices talk to each other and, and everything's all set. Very, very exciting as far as that application. But then, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess that's good journalism, quote unquote, to some degree when you don't take a stance on it. But when they start talking about smart specs and smart dust, uh, that's that's where all this gets scary. Because it's not going to be used to protect you. You know, I mean, like all the sensor stuff. Yeah, maybe someone will use it to help you with, um, you know, something like a Fitbit type thing where you can get information about your health and all that. But even that, um, you know, I I don't think that that's really meant to benefit you. Uh, I you know, this, this gets into, you know, some people talk about this and they really go far out with it, but I, I think, and there's a lot of apps that have already admitted that they do this, um, where they report information to your health insurance companies. Uh, so you have, you have a couple interesting things going on. You have health insurance becoming mandatory and then you have health insurance, you know, apps that are sending tons of information about you and charging you for it. It's crazy. Anyway, this is really exciting stuff, but the applications when you have a government, that becomes scary, all because of government. I'll be back. Tomorrow.
0: Once upon a time, long before the dawn of digital technology and social media, analog dinosaurs roamed the earth. Free thinkers relied on underground newspapers to spread their radical ideas. If you thought that underground newspapers were extinct? Pick up a copy of Obsolete Magazine from Obsolete Press. Each issue of this old school newsprint tabloid is packed with original DIY articles, counterculture essays, science fiction stories, and artwork by a list of international contributors who are dedicated to smashing the status quo. Obsolete Magazine is available from obsolete-press.com and Obsolete Press offers special discounts to readers who use Bitcoin. Social media is great, but Obsolete offers a reading experience unlike anything on the web the underground newspaper is alive and well read obsolete and get your hands dirty. Wow. Wow.
1: It's a website of the week. Ah. It is time for website of the week where I cover websites that I find particularly interesting. Um, sometimes it's blogs, you know, sometimes it's a website with just a ton of great info, you know, like, like hard info. um, and this week it is a blog. Uh, and I re- I mean, this is really, I, I am enjoying this. Uh, the name alone is so good and it's re- I think it's relatively new. And actually I grabbed the, the opening story this week is from this webpage. Uh, and it's sex in sex, positive state, negative, I, I, how can you go wrong with that? Uh, and it is the blog of Kathy Reisenwitz. And, you know, you can you can go there, sexinthestate.com, and check it out. Um, before I get more into that, I am, if you're wondering, yes, I am on location again. But, as usual, it is undisclosed. Uh, anyway, sexinthestate.com great great articles that she puts up uh from from the various areas that that she writes for and and I really I really appreciate uh, her write-ups um you know of course google says what the government thinks which was was our opening story uh there's also uh mother jones should really read mother jones that's a that's an interesting article if you want to check that out um I'm an unabashedly, aggressively, transparently chalant woman. Deal with it. I I love it. That's so good. Uh, I mean, and and even in the like, if you look at the about page, it says I write about sex and power, and, and you know, because those are the things she likes. Uh, and and actually, Kathy Riesenwitz, I I do believe she is a uh, you know she 's a, a feminist as well. I mentioned earlier that I I think and maybe we'll get her on the show and we can ask her if she considers herself a libertine, but she, she does, you know, I know, I know she subscribes to, you know, being a feminist as do I, um, and just, you know, that's all over the place on this website. Uh, and, and these stories, you know, really great collection of stories. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, it's one of the best things, you know, it's hard to believe. I mean, blogs, some people say blogs are like overdone and everybody has a blog. um, Yeah, that may be true, but I mean, there's so much individual thought out there and like liberty itself, you know, and like real liberty is such a rare, is still so rare that really anyone that puts out like a good blog, you know, and information about it and especially, you know, I mean, her stuff gets posted on so many other great websites. um I mean, I I, I can't I can't recommend it enough. And the writing is solid. And the topics to me are positively fascinating. And generally, I agree 100 percent with what she has to say. Uh, It's just and and it's it's really refreshing. And of course, I love the fact. And I mean, I I might be becoming a broken record on this, but I love the fact that it is a pure, you know, anarchist liberty, um, you know, minded blog. And sex is right in the name, you know, and 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 it's, you know, very, very again, sex positive, state negative. I mean, that's great. I wish I came up with that tagline for, you know, for Sovereign Tech. I really, really do, because I, I, I just think that that that's genius. Um, So and, and again, you know, it lives up to the title, quite frankly. Uh and the the Gmail article was was fantastic. I mean, how great to get a to get a tech article from you know sexinthestate.com. Uh so check it out. Uh again, that's Kathy Risenwitt's Kathy Reisenwitz, uh you know blog. It's fantastic. Sexinthestate.com. Uh I couldn't recommend it more. And uh, you know, let me know. If you get stories from there, don't hesitate to share them my way. I mean I get I subscribe to, you know, pre email, list, so I get if you find a great story that you want me to talk about on there, send it my way. Or Time
0: now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul.
2: Take it from me going bald is no picnic, but neither is going through life with a permanently soft penis no sex drive, mental confusion, wasting muscles, chronic fatigue, sleep problems, and chronic depression. Unfortunately, that's exactly what's happened to a subset of men who have used a product called Propecia to treat their baldness. Propecia contains a medication called finasteride, which is also used in the drug Proscar for treating enlarged prostates. Finasteride works by decreasing the body's ability to efficiently metabolize testosterone which men need in order to feel sexual. Fortunately, a lot of men who experience these wicked side effects return to normal after they stop using Propecia or Proscar. However, we now know from studies done at two renowned medical schools that these horrible side effects do not go away after some of these men stop taking the drug. It seems that these drugs have permanently altered the brain chemistry in this group of men, and some of the nation's top physicians have not been able to find a cure. I've put links to these studies on our website. Hopefully, if you're considering using drugs like Propecia or ProScar, you'll take the time to read them. That way, you'll be able to make a more informed decision before using these drugs.
0: For more, visit 90SecondsOnSex.com.
1: Cover questions that get sent to me with various channels that CyberTech is available on. Uh, Twitter, you know, we're on Twitter, I love Twitter. Twitter, I mean, well, other than their compliance with taking down tweets, uh, you know, and giving information to uh, governments, um, I really enjoy Twitter, the platform uh, it's a very unique platform and works works very, very well. So anyway, you can get in touch with me through Twitter.com. Yes, you are fully welcome to direct message me on there. I don't mind at all. Uh, I don't consider it a creeper move <laughs> or anything. Um, and also there's SovereignTech at ai. Again, that email address will be changing soon. Not yet. But SovereignTech.hush.ai, I'll leave that open for a few months at least, uh, you know, even, even when we get the new email address. Uh, SovereignTech.com, you can anonymously, you know, submit questions to me, uh, you know, or, or even stories. That's fine. Uh, as well as on SoundCloud, you can actually ask questions within the sounds themselves. So I know what, I'm ta- what you're talking about when I said something. I can actually go right to the timestamp at SoundCloud if you have a SoundCloud account. And I can look at it. But of course, that may not be as anonymous as you'd like. Uh, Anyway, so and also real quick, you're you're hearing some new ads in this show and this show is a little bit longer. Uh, I have had requests for the show to be longer. No one said they wanted it shorter. Uh, But essentially, you know, I have had people that, you know, they they just they, they want a lengthier, more meaty uh you know thicker sovereign tech experience uh, <laughs> but, uh anyway and and so you you're hearing some new ads uh, throughout the show, and you know it 's good to shake things up every once in a while. I mean, I have a great template that I run off of uh, again, I know i 've said this before one day I will um, you know do a podcast about how to make podcasts because I think I have a really good unique, maybe kind of unique system on doing it uh, that makes me capable with my very very busy life uh you know to to still you know push out an almost two hour long podcast every week, even with specials. Uh, anyway, so this is bigger, longer. Uh, it's not, it's not uncut. I know everybody was going to say it's uncut, but, uh, you know, no Jewish joke there. I, it's just, <laughs> uh, it, it is not, a, it, it is not uncut because as I said earlier, this is actually the first episode in a while where I've had to do a cut. Uh, but anyway, let's get into the question. First listener question is, uh brian sovereign a golden stallion in the early episodes of the show you seem to talk about the roman empire a lot and you still bring it up um what's the big deal about the roman empire i'm not going to answer that question right now but if you really want to know more people need to ask me because <laughs> i'm not just going to do that on a one-off uh no the real thing i want to get to because i get a lot of questions about this is cryptocurrencies and 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 bitcoin maybe more specifically that's kind of the you know that's the big one and so everybody wants to know about that uh and so because i get so many questions about it i really i want to kind of get it out of the way you know maybe every once in a while for listener email as another you know round of emails builds up um you know about bitcoins then i'll, I'll touch on it again because it's bitcoin you know the all current or the cryptocurrency world is it's technology so it's evolving hourly daily by the minute by the second uh, it, it's really something, you know, to, to watch. And in fact, pretty much, you know, I had someone ask me, uh, recently I was in New York, uh, Stephanie and I, we were in New York and we went to the Bitcoin conference. Um, and it was asked, you know, when are you going to get it, When are, as a podcaster, you know, when are, as kind of a journalist, when are you gonna, going to get into, uh, the Bitcoin realm? and my answer was you know i'm not uh i mean i did a i did a special there's this the the second sovereign tech special i believe it was uh was all about or maybe it was the first one i think the it was the first one it was all about bitcoin the second one was about dolphins which yeah, yeah you can listen to that <laughs> and, and come up with your own judgments um but you know the the question was you know when am i going to get into broadcasting about bitcoin more and and things like that and you know what yeah, my answer is is that I'm not because there's actually and and actually it, you know the lovely and hyper intelligent producer of the show Stephanie Murphy she's already a part of a podcast that quite frankly is so comprehensive uh so well done, so finely produced um and so all inclusive. I think uh for Bitcoin and that's let's talk Bitcoin and you can check it out at let's talk dot com if you haven't already uh i mean it's great like i i there's no way i could i could really i mean I may be on that show in the future, you know as a guest perhaps or something um but there's no way that i could i could possibly i feel like they've just they've got it you know that they've they've and and it's rightfully so because You know, when they go when they go to conferences, like anybody that's involved with Let's Talk Bitcoin, it's just instantly like I mean, there's prestige. Doesn't matter how much money the person has in front of them. You know, there's just this instantaneous understanding. Oh, it's Let's Talk Bitcoin. You know, so I can't see myself, you know, being in. Yeah. You know, and and the person was very, very kind and gracious saying, you know, that the tech industry is so, I mean, there's just so many podcasts about technology and all that. And that's true. You know, what am I doing being involved with that? Well, I do think, I mean, this is Sovereign Tech is the only, in my, I, as far as I can tell, it's the only anarchist bented technology show. And that's important because anarchy is what we're all trying to achieve, right? So, yeah, and technology really is the way you know, technology. In fact, there is an awesome, if you haven't listened to this, I would totally recommend checking it out. I think it's the August 18th, 2013. I believe it's the 18th episode of free talk live and Stephanie and I weren't there. We were in Michigan and Jason Talley guest co-hosted, um, with Mark edge, uh, to fill in for us. And he knocked it out of the park. It was so solid, everything he was saying. And someone even called in, you know, uh, they were talking about Adam Kokesh's rally about guns or whatever. And he said, well, how about we not rally about guns and all and said and instead concentrate on, you know, encrypting, encrypting our electronic communications and, and, and things like that. And I was like, yes, there it is. Let's let's solve it with technology. You know, let, let's let solve it with encryption. Let's solve it with uh, just just outsmarting everybody, not not going to, you know. Really, techniques that have been done for thousands upon thousands of years that clearly haven 't gotten us much of anywhere okay so you know let 's do it the technology route come on and and I thought that was so good anyway, so thoughts on bitcoin i'm 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 all over the place here. <laughs> thoughts on bitcoin um Yeah, there's been a lot with the altcoins, Bitcoin in and of itself. Let me answer that. okay? because the person also asked me, you know, they said when I didn't want to get involved in the Bitcoin space of uh, broadcast or podcasting, um, they said, well, do you not, you know, quote unquote, believe in Bitcoin? You know, I mean, I I, what I said was, is that I believe in cryptocurrencies. I don't I don't know that Bitcoin's going to be the one. But I do think cryptocurrencies are the future of money. Uh, and it may be the future of a whole lot of other things. You know, it, it's just like, uh, you know, okay, there, there's a thought, right? In fact, at that conference, at that same conference that I'm talking about, and I tweeted from that conference some of these thoughts. You can, so you can go to Twitter, you know, at Sovereign Tech, and you can find a lot of my thoughts on Twitter there. And um, I think it was BitcoinConf was the hashtag, but anyway. You know, everybody was talking about it's like, well, this is this is like the internet in 1992. Okay, fine. Then if it's like the internet in 1992 right now, is it going to be like the internet? When is it going to be like the internet in 1999 to 2001 when you had the crash? You know, when you had the the dot com bubble. Is that coming? And is anyone even talking about that? No. Just like any other kind of you know new thing, everybody's just treating it like oh no this this cannot fail, Uh, or actually no you know what no they were saying yes it could fail if the government doesn't get involved with it. Okay, so Bitcoin is that big where everybody is crying. They're they're not it's not even like the government's scared and so the government's getting involved. The people that are developing new uses, new tech, new services for Bitcoin are wanting the government involved. How terrible, how terrible. And you know what? And I hear the excuse a lot for the, from these, you know, from some of the, some of the people that are a little more anarcho friendly, they'll say, well, they just, they have to say that kind of stuff. They have to say it, um, you know, to, to make investors happy or to make other people happy. And every time I hear that, I just want to say, okay, well, can you tell me where the conference is where these people don't have to bullshit me? You know, I I mean, that's so frustrating to to constantly hear. And so it it almost turns me off to Bitcoin because it's like, no, I don't want the government involved. Now, yes, it is an absolute fact that Bitcoin can be used whether it's regulated or not. You know, just like cash can buy drugs. As well as it can pay taxes, Bitcoin will be the same way. No doubt about it. But you got to understand that coming from my perspective, um, you know, it, it's it's an, it's frustrating to see something that 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 seems to be such and is such a great tool for advancing anarchy. Um, you know, for people to literally to just be like, like I said, just crying out for the government to get involved is is mind-blowing to me and very very depressing now so okay so that's bitcoin uh is bitcoin still say you have the question is bitcoin something worth investing in absolutely uh in fact today uh i was told about um uh, cloud hashing okay which is like you can buy into essentially a pool of miners You, you don't have to you're not you know connecting to the mining pool you're buying into like a share of this mining pool and you'll get like, you know, at the lowest one, I think it was like a hundred bucks and you get two to five bitcoins or so a year from that. And I think that's a fantastic investment. Anytime you can throw a hundred dollars at something, a hundred dollars is always worth any risk. It doesn't matter. A hundred dollars is totally worth taking a shot at something, uh, even a little more than that is really. Um, but anyway, so Bitcoin is still worth investing in. I'm not saying that. But let's talk about the altcoins a little bit. Um, it is true that pretty much all these altcoins, Feathercoin, Terracoin, uh, go down the list of them. There's I think it may be safe to say there's hundreds of them now. Um, they do get 51% attacks, tax, and 51% of tax is where someone essentially, you know, you know, takes an ASIC miner, one of these high-end miners that gets these incredible hash rates and, you know, just takes over an algorithm for, say, TerraCoin or or, or FeatherCoin. Um, and the difficulty for anyone else to mine on it uh, becomes, you know, it turns into the infinite levels and you essentially can't do it until uh, someone, you know, fixes the clients to where it's not a problem. And then it creates double spends and all this stuff. Um like I said about risk, you know, when you look at these altcoins and you can hash out a hundred bucks a pop on a different altcoin, who knows? One of these might solve the problem. One of these might get into it. If you can throw a hundred bucks at Litecoin, still do it. Litecoin. Now that's the beauty. And, and I'll say this again. Uh, I am a huge fan of Litecoin. Um, And Litecoin might be the real successor. What's the advantages to Litecoin? Of course, everybody talks about that the payment confirmations, Uh, you know, that they, they get solved faster uh, than significantly faster than bitcoin um you know there, there there's there's a few others there's the fact that like you can still mine litecoins with a gpu uh there isn't an asic miner for litecoin um and and that that's a good idea to do i've talked about that before on this show because at least if if all these cryptocurrencies somehow crashed i don't see that ever happening but if they did At least if you just invested in, you know, a high-end GPU machine, you still have a really great gaming computer at the end. So anyway, if you want my recommendation on what to do about cryptocurrencies, I'd be buying a Litecoin right now. Uh, And I'll be back with more. Got
2: an energy spike.
1: Launch. Ah! In the third age of mankind... An age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon Five. Our fighter
2: squadrons launch. Return
0: fire. them! Well, watch Babylon Five.
1: You can watch Babylon Five and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to thewb.com/shows slash Babylon five
0: software
1: of the week. It is time for software of the week where I cover pieces of software that I find useful, uh, intriguing, uh, fun maybe, or even, uh, it might be a terrible piece of software, which I have done, uh, like Google Hangouts or iTunes, And this week, this is definitely falls under the useful uh, and the intriguing. Uh, I really just recently started using this and I love it. Um, This is this is an Android app, you know, and and I get I've gotten the emails. I know you want to know more about iPhone apps. Look, as far as like things that, um, you know, like like encryption stuff and all that. Yes, it does exist to some degree for Apple, but. I mean the Android market's just got it covered because of the open source nature of it and open source is important okay it it's not i mean you don't let something like purity for open source stop you from doing a good thing please you know don't misunderstand me there's there's things that aren't open source like open garden that are really advancing uh communications in my opinion uh so you know and I use it all the time but open source is pretty important and this is an open source totally secure uh text messaging app for Android, and it's great. It's called Text Secure, and it's by Whisper Systems. They're pretty popular for coming out with Red Phone, which is essentially, you know, it enc- it encrypts your phone calls um, with varying results, admittedly. Uh, maybe I'll do Red Phone for Software of the Week at some point. But Text Secure is wonderful. Uh, it totally replaces your, your text messaging app that you have on, you know, the default text messaging app that comes with Android, it replaces that. It can import when you install it, it can import all of your text messages from that app into TextSecure. secure. Uh, The messages they are encrypted right on the phone, this isn't being done as you send it out. Um, You know, so, so even though it's like stored on your phone, believe me, it's encrypted there. Uh, You have to enter a password every time, every time you now, what what will happen is, is you'll see on the top of your, on the, the notification bar on your phone or tablet, well, pretty much phone, right, um, for text, unless you somehow could get it to work with Google Voice. I haven't tried that. Maybe I should. But anyway, um, you know, in the notification bar, you'll see like a lock symbol saying that uh, tech secure, you know, you'll see this little padlock. And, uh, and And really, when you start putting in a lot of these encryption technologies and apps, into your communication systems, suddenly everything looks like, like your notification bar is just loaded with padlocks, you know, because that's a common symbol that secure systems use. And anyway, you'll see this little padlock and that if it's locked, you know, if it's closed and not open, it, that means that you're going to have to enter a password. And pretty much like if you reboot your phone, you have to reenter the password, but you can leave the password you know, store it in the cache. Uh, but it's really nice because if you wanted to suddenly lock your text messaging, uh, you know, text secure, your text messaging program, uh, you can just, you know, flip down the notification bar and you can, you know, one click and and it locks text secure. It's that good. Um, now, as far as how it works with communicating, yes, your text messages are locally um, encrypted. But if the person you're sending the text, the SMS text message to, isn't using text secure. Um, it's not secure on that end. Okay. So, you know, if, if you want to get, you know, a circle of people going that, you know, that you want to securely text with, they're going to need to get this software too, or you're going to need to, you know, you'll have to convince them to use it as well. Uh, and I recommend doing that. Like I said, you know, sure. Okay. Let's say that the NSA can, can just crack all this stuff instantly. Well, the NSA doesn't have the manpower to stop a lot of the local business that you do. And so let's give the local municipalities a hard time. They're really the things to, to be concerned about anyway, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. So anyway, check it out. Tech Secure. You can go to whispersystems.org. There's a link in the show notes You to check it out. And I totally, totally recommend it. Uh, and hey, if you want to send me an email, we'll text. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out lrn.fm is the liberty radio network a collection of live talk radio and podcasts all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective lrn.fm show hosts aren't left right or conspiracy kooks you can tune in 24 7 to lrn.fm via your phone computer satellite and more listen free anytime at lrn.fm that's lrn.fm ryan stop
0: playing
1: those video Uh, uh, just a minute, mom. Game talk. It is time for game talk where I talk about video games. And in fact, you know, this section of the show is so popular. Uh, I mean, it's, it's easily the one that everybody kind of comments on and says, man, thank you for talking about video games. Um, and, you know, and I love to do it cause I, I love video games as much as anybody. And actually I mentioned that this show is bigger and longer, uh, and it will be, you know, from now on because I've added a section called game of the week. You know, we have software of the week, pick of the week um, you know, website of the week. And so I am adding in game of the week that is coming up, but we're still doing game talk because the gaming industry, a lot of times has a lot to say about popular culture. It has a lot to say, or about society, I should say, of course, it has a lot to say about popular culture. It is popular culture, uh, it has a lot to say about society it has a lot to say about the human condition. A lot of times, I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, and 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 there's some freedom stories involved in there, especially when it comes to to, to women. Uh, it really highlights, uh, you know, the, the way society often, um, you know, c- can look at uh, the other gender. And <laughs> now that it's the other, ge- they're both gender, You get what I mean. Anyway, um, but this this is interesting, and this kind of harkens back to one of the very first, if not the very first, episode of Sovereign Tech, where I talked about history. With gaming, and I mean ancient history where there was you know some thousands year old d20 die that they found um, and now though, and this actually this this uh, this story was sent in from a listener, and I appreciate that uh, this is from polygon dot com and it's 5,000 year old game pieces found in Turkey. And it's by Dave talk uh, a series of, and you can see there's a picture, go to the show notes, sovereigntech.com, soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech. And you can see the picture of these things. And like, I mean it's pretty awesome. We I'll describe them a little bit more, but we'll read the article here. A series of small stones uncovered in a Turkish burial ground almost 5000 years old may be the world's oldest board game pieces, according to a report in Discovery News. The black, blue, green, red, and white stones were unearthed in a burial ground in southeastern Turkey. Some depict pigs, dogs, and pyramids. Others feature round and bullet shapes, said Haluk Seglimatir of Ege uh, University in Izmir, Turkey. We also found dice as well as three circular tokens made of white shell and topped with a black round stone. Similar stones have been uncovered in Iraq and Syria, but were believed to be counting stones because they were scattered individually. On the contrary, our gaming pieces were found all together in the same cluster, he said. It's a unique finding, a rather complete set of a chess-like game. We are puzzling over its strategy." The researchers don't yet know what the ancient game was, but Saglimateur said that according to the distribution, shape and numbers of the stone pieces, it appears that the game is based on the number four. And that's interesting. And like I said, you can check out the picture. And yeah, there's like these little pyramids. I mean, these are like intricately designed uh, game pieces you know, and and they do have a uniformity to them. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because that means that they took gaming pretty seriously, just like we do today, or at least some of us do. Uh, you know, th- this wasn't something so simplistic to them. It does. You just look at the game pieces and it does look incredibly intricate. Uh, it's interesting that it's based on the number four. Uh, I don't know, you, you know, I mean, I think instantly when you think of games that are based on the number four, you think what, you know, go for it, connect four, right? Uh, But this, this isn't anything like connect four. Uh, But I mean, they're multicolored. And I find it fascinating that some of the pieces are pyramid shaped. Uh, Obviously, I mean, you know, if you've listened to this show before, uh, you know, I'll come right out and say it. (laughs) A little-known secret is that perhaps I'm not so much the technologist, perhaps, uh, you know, I'm not so much the the journalist, but I'm definitely a historian, (laughs) and so... You know, uh, so many times history comes up in this show, uh, and I'm glad that a lot of people actually find it to be incredibly relevant, as do I. Um, and so so anyway, yeah, the, the secret's out. Brian Sovereign is actually a historian, uh, you know, among other things, of course, but perhaps first and foremost, uh, maybe that's the best title for me. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, So, so 5,000 years ago, uh, which apparently is around the time frame that, uh, you know, really we didn't have much in the way of culture, supposedly, right? Um, you know, suddenly we find these game pieces for what, by, you know, every measure seems to be an incredibly complex and intricate game. Uh, and, and I find it fascinating. You know, what is it in the human nature? And a lot of people have looked into this, and there's actually, there's a very famous uh, quote And I want to say it was by George Bernard Shaw, but I think I've got that wrong. But the quote is, is that, you know, in this universe, you know, if there are other universes, this universe is a universe of games and war. And obviously, I don't agree with that, uh, but I I find that disturbing that a lot of people seem to agree with it. Um, But anyway, you know, what is what is with. The, you know, the, the human desire, the human need to, or it seems to be a need, right? I mean, to, to, to spend so much time doing this or to, well, we'll just say the human want to play a game, you know, be even just a, just a simple board game. what you know, what is, what's with that? And I, I don't know if I exactly have a great answer and I'd love to hear some people, actually, I'd love to hear Stefan Molyneux take on that. He's probably talked about it and I just haven't heard it. Um, but without question. You know, and, and and this is funny because how many people today say it's like well oh, it's, it's these games these games are ruining the kids today. Uh all people do is they spend time playing games. Well, guess what? 5000 years ago, looks like they did that a lot too. Because nothing's changed. We're still human. Okay? It, it, in fact, it reminds me so much I love this. This is so funny. The people who say it's like well back in my day, I, you know, I uh, you know, I didn't do any of this. Uh, I didn't waste all this time in the morning looking at Facebook and looking at, at Google plus or Twitter. Uh, I read the newspaper. Duh, you were doing the same thing. <laughs> I it, mean, it, it, it's, you know, the news, the Facebook is the newspaper now that's, that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, it, it's just shocking, you know, the, the, the blind spots it, Well, it's not shocking, but it, it, It's unfortunate. The blind spots people have to this stuff. So anyway, th- this is really, really interesting stuff. And I look at these game pieces and I'm kind of looking for the symbology in them because, you know, I, Brian Sovereign likes symbology. And other than the pyramid, yeah, I don't know what's trying to be said here. It's interesting that there's pigs in it. Uh, so it's probably pretty safe to say that uh, someone that practices Judaism didn't come up with the game. Uh, not to say that that, that, you know, that Jews, Israelites didn't play games. Anytime the Bible talks about casting lots, that was them rolling dice, you know, which is funny because the the Torah, like, bans the practice of, of, of fate. It bans the practice of rolling dice. Uh, so, so that wasn't being done by them. Um, but yeah, it, you know, to, to compare it to a chess-like game, it does kind of look that way. But uh, really, I, I want to know, and if you have any thoughts on this, I'd love to do, to do a nice, big, long talk about it during game talk. Uh, if you have thoughts on this, why do you think people you know, are so into games? Is it escapism, but what were they trying to escape from 5,000 years ago? You know, was life that crazy back then, that hustle and a bustle that they wanted to, to practice escapism from it? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, but, but I find it absolutely fascinating. So pretty much every form of entertainment we have today, guess what? We've been doing it for thousands of years, writing art, playing games, be it board games, who knows what else, uh, fucking, you know, all, all, all the things we do for fun and that we really enjoy. We've been doing it forever. Uh, that that's that's really the, the the bottom line that this that this story tells me but you know check it out take a look at the picture tell me what you think please email me sovereigntech at hush.ai get in touch with me through sovereigntech.com. i'd love to know your thoughts this. Uh, and i'll be back with more are you
0: searching for a mouth-watering all-natural sweet and sticky treat What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's Famous Baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's Famous Baklava also has a treat for you. Golden, delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot for George's famous baklava. Hacker
1: Stories. It's time for Hacker Stories, where I cover stories that have to do with security or that talk about the real heroes of the planet Earth, those being hackers. Black hat, white hat, gray hat. I think they're all pretty wonderful. And I will, I'll say this, I will, maybe the next show, I would like to get back to, I love reading stories and articles like from, and, and commenting about them from 2600 Magazine and other hacker uh, periodicals. Um, I will get back into doing that. The, really, again, this NSA thing, you know, with Prism and, and all the rest of it and Edward Snowden uh, has just taken over. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> the the real the, the hacker realm, you know, is, as far as um, as far as, you know, the stories going around. And, it, and it's just so prevalent and people want to hear about it. So, OK, you know, I'll talk about it. Um, but I would like to get back to, to reading about some of those really fascinating stories to give you just an interesting outlook, especially over time, because like 2600 has been going for a good 30 years uh, and and the the, in, the the perspective that you can get from say articles from like the 80s are just priceless and one of the things i've always really wanted to heavily showcase on sovereign tech because it's not showcased anywhere else Uh, anyway we are going to talk about a little more prism here (laughs) this is from rt.com uk ordered guardian that being the paper that glenn greenwald works for and you know is pushing out all this information uh, from edward snowden to destroy hard drives in an effort to stop Snowden revelations. This is from August twentieth, two 2013. UK authorities reportedly raided the Guardian's office in London to destroy hard drives in an effort to stop future publications of leaks from former NSA contractor Edward Snowden. The action is unlikely to prevent new materials coming out. Guardian editor Alan Rusbridger revealed in a Monday article posted on the British newspaper's website that intelligence officials from the government communications headquarters told him that he would either have to hand over all the classified documents or have the newspaper's hard drives destroyed. After more talks, two security experts, quote unquote, from GCHQ, the British version of the NSA, visited the Guardian's London offices. Russ Bridger wrote that the government officials then watched as computers which contained classified information passed on by Snowden were physically destroyed in one of the newspaper building's basements. We can call off the black helicopters, Russ Bridger said, uh, one of the officials joked. Another source familiar with the event confirmed to Reuters that Guardian employees destroyed the computers as UK officials observed. During negotiations with the government... Russbridger said that the newspaper could not fulfill its journalistic duty if it satisfied the authorities' requests. But GCHQ reportedly responded by telling The Guardian that it had already sparked the debate, which was enough. You've had your debate. There's no need to write anymore, writers quoted the unnamed official as saying. In the article, Russ Bridger explained that because of existing international collaborations between journalists, it was still possible to report the story and take advantage of the most permissive legal environments. I explained to the man from Whitehall about the nature of international collaborations. Bluntly, we did not have to do our reporting from London. Already, most of the NSA stories were being reported and edited out of New York and had it occurred to him that reporter Glenn Greenwald lived in Brazil, which is true. Glenn Greenwald lives in Brazil. You're gonna go to his house there and stop him. You're gonna get all the you know requirements from the Brazilian government. The man was unmoved. And so uh, one of the more bizarre mo- moments in the Guardian's long history occurred with two GCHQ security experts overseeing the destruction of hard drives in the Guardian's basement just to make sure there was nothing in the mangled bits of metal which could possibly be of any interest to passing Chinese agents. Um, Rusbridger pointed out that the whole incident felt like a pointless piece of symbolism that understood nothing about the digital age. The news comes after Sunday's international incident during which David Miranda, the partner of Guardian jar- journalist Glenn Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald is gay and kudos, uh, was held at Heathrow Airport under the UK Terrorism Act for the maximum time allowed before pressing charges. Greenwald was the reporter who exclusively broke the Snowden story. The editor promised that the Guardian will continue to do patient Painstaking reporting on the Snowden documents. We just won't do it in London. The seizure of Miranda's laptops, phones, hard drives, and camera will similarly have no effect on Greenwald's work. Another US security office security source told Reuters that Miranda's detention was meant to send a message to those who received Snowden's classified documents about how serious the UK is in closing all the leaks in relation to the whistleblower's revelations. Greenwald, who first published secrets leaked by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden, responded by promising to release more documents. He added that the U.K. would be sorry for detaining his partner for nine hours. Snowden, who has been granted asylum by Russia, gave Greenwald up to 20,000 documents about uh, with details about the U.S. National Security Agency and the U.K.'s GCHQ surveillance operations. Uh, that's Uh, Whoa. You know, and first first point, what I love about this is that Greenwald's not saying, well, I'm going to get a gun or I'm going to go down there and I'm going to beat you up or I'm going to, you know, do some kind of violent act. He's using information. Nonviolent means of showing how ridiculous these people are who have abused him and his loved one. And you know, so many times when people say something like, um, you know, well, boy, if anyone ever did this to my wife, I'd go down there and I'd... Glenn Greenwald showing you the, the, the you know, perhaps the, the the real way to get some restitution, you know. But so my point being is that violence is not the answer. I don't think it ever is. Um, and and kudos to Greenwald for for having such wonderful tact and ability, uh, but anyway, you know this is unbelievable. And yeah, it is so. It, it's clearly a symbolic act that that the British government was doing because we, the data is everywhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you think Snowden just gave the information to Greenwald? I mean, come on, I, I bet I bet there's so many people that have those 20,000 documents, it's everywhere. And there's just no way, you can't destroy it. The cat is out of the bag. Pandora's box is open and good. It was good when Pandora, if, 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 (laughs) real quick, if the Pandora's box story were true, I'm glad it got opened. But anyway, this, this too, I mean, it's open, it's out there, it's done, it's over. And these antiquated organizations called governments, these antiquated, antiquated gangs, called governments don't know how to respond and they're doing things that what look good to 80 year olds it's like yeah don't worry we went down to their basement got the computers down there and we burned them you know we took come on you could probably hold those 20,000 documents in something smaller than your finger that's that this is so asinine uh, for them to be doing and and of course, you know, what, what they did to David Miranda, to, to Glenn Greenwald's uh, partner, unbelievable and, and atrocious. And what did they expect? <laughs> I, I mean, you think Greenwald, I mean, journalists used to, there actually used to be kind of um, classes for, you know, I, I used to be interested in doing like, you know, genuine journalism, like working for a paper, uh, back when papers mattered and, you know, there, there were courses I remember were, you know, how to deal with harassment, how to deal with pressure from various groups, be it corporations and even governments. I mean, and, and Greenwald's as new school and old schools, they come. Come on, this kind of stuff. All it does really makes things worse for the government. Bottom line. Anyway, this is Sovereign Tech. I'll be back with more new segment coming up.
0: television event ever, as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crew. I
1: have led the entire human race to ruin.
0: The last of mankind, fighting for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful worlds.
1: We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the
0: be attack begin. New age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. Would you like to play a game? Game of the week.
1: It is time for Game of the Week. New intro, new segment, the whole business. Uh, And, you know, again, there's been so much positive response to, you know, the fact that we talk about video games. Now, video games are not going to take over the show. But I thought, you know, a lot of people actually some of the things that people would ask me about to talk about um, would be, you know, video games talk about the Doom series or talk about Wing Commander or, you know, talk about this. uh, And you can say, well, what does that have to do with Liberty? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to do with Liberty. You know, I mean, Sovereign Tech's a big thing, Uh, (laughs) you know, and and everything's got the anarchist bent. No doubt about it. You can always count on that. Uh, But anyway, so it's Game of the Week, and this is where I will talk about, you know, a game that I find cool. It could be a really, really old game, kind of like what PC Gamer does with its uh, reinstall um, articles, or it could be, you know, something really new that just came out. Uh, and totally, again, I, I, I mentioned this before that the segment, I, I, I did hint that this, uh, segment would be coming. Um, but free talk live actually does this on Tuesday nights with Johnny Ray, where he does a game of the week. And I thought that was so cool. I wanted to do it too. <laughs> okay. So full credit to Johnny Ray on that one. Um, In this week's game, this is something, this is really, really cool, Uh, and it's a game that's for Android or iOS, uh, and it's Riptide GP2. Now, of course, you could also play this on the Ouya, which is essentially Android, right? Um, And it's, Riptide GP2, it's made by Vector Unit, the company, and Vector Unit is actually the production team. If you remember this game, I mean, this game in the arcades and at home with like the Dreamcast was huge. The game was uh, was Hydro Thunder. OK, and Vector Unit is the same development team that made Hydro Thunder, which was a game of racing boats. It was kind of like San Francisco Rush or Rush 2049, but in, instead of cars, it had boats. Uh, tons of fun. I mean, just just a, you know, crazy game. And this is now essentially Hydro Thunder, but with jet skis and with all the modern accoutrements of gaming slapped in. It is so good. Uh, you get to you know, you get to design your your you know, your colors of your character and all that uh, or, you know, the, the player in the game. Um, you get to you can buy uh, it does have in-app purchases OK, uh, but you can buy, uh, you know, new or you can just earn. And this is one of the nice things, OK, because you can buy parts, you can buy uh, or upgrades, I should say, not parts. You can buy new sleds. All right. But one of the one of the really cool things about it is that you can actually play this game pretty far without having to do an in-app purchase. And you could essentially, you know, I think the game is like four ninety nine right now um, and you can play the game. uh You know, just you'd have to play it a little bit more, but you could keep playing and you could get pretty much everything that's in the game without having to do an in-app purchase, which is really great. I like that. I I don't have so much of a problem with in-app purchases, but I think that's a nice touch when when it's not necessary, you know, Uh, because, I mean, when you hash out, I mean, keep this in mind, okay? games used to cost you know, fit and still do for the big systems, $50, 60 Now you can get an Android game for like a dollar or even five bucks. And so when you're getting a console quality experience, which Riptide GP two is because it has multiplayer multi picture that you're playing multiplayer over three G you're playing multiplayer anywhere you are in the, you know, in the country or in the world or whatever. And that's so cool. And, and it's just lots of fun, a real adrenaline rush with Riptide GP two and for a great, great price, uh, you know, I mean, why complain about games being five bucks? It's amazing. People are like, oh, well, the game's too expensive. You get what, and you don't mind hashing out 50? Come on. Anyway, uh, Riptide GP2, check it out. There's a link in the show notes, you know, for you to grab it. iOS and Android, tons and tons of fun. The replay value through the roof. No story, but the replay value through the roof. I'll be back with more.
0: this is stephanie murphy sovereign tech producer you may know me from this show but did you know that i have my own podcast it's called pork therapy pork therapy is a bit different from other shows we cover current events big ideas and even relationship issues all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives oh and you'll love sex and science hour join me on my website porktherapy.com that's p-o-r-c-therapy.com now back to sovereign tech I can't believe I caught you again! You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. (sighs) It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well. Then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of, Pick
1: of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I, you know, pretty much I just geek out. I just kind of nerd out, you know. I mean, it's it doesn't always have to be that way, because there's a lot of times where I'll talk about you know, very important things. Um, But it's a time where, you know, it's the pick of the week, so I can talk about a topic, I can talk about a movie, uh, I can still talk about a game, even though now we have, as you just heard, the new segment, Game of the Week. Um, Or, you know, I could talk about a comic book, a book, a product, you know, and there are some interesting products I'd like to talk about that I recently tried out. Um, But, yeah, you you know, I get to talk about anything. And this week, you know, Star Trek comes up a lot on this show. Uh, In fact, I've I've heard from some listeners, they said they swear that that I mentioned it every episode. And I don't know if that's true, but I bet it is (laughs) because growing up, Star Trek was such uh, an important part of my life, quite frankly. Um, And for anyone to say, well, you know, you do realize it's just a TV show, right? Uh, Yeah. okay. well, let me hold on a second. I need to flip up my phone. Uh, I mean, my communicator. I mean, no, my phone. Uh, you know, so I can talk to, you you get my point. It's not just a TV show in so many ways. It really has helped shape, uh, our technological society. Um, and, and even in some ways, I think it's shaped people morally. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of astronauts have said, yeah, no, I wanted to go into space. I wanted to explore, uh, you know, the human condition and science and all these things because of star Trek. I mean, all kinds of people have said that sort of thing. Um, so star Trek's a big deal. OK. Uh, and and it's a big deal to me, which I think, uh, you know, anyone that's listened to the show a few times and, you know, that that's pretty patently obvious. Uh, but anyway, anyway, so I just watched Stephanie and I watched the other night uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, which is the newest film that came out this summer of 2013. Um, and yes, it's not out on Blu-ray or DVD yet, but, um, you know, that's because I downloaded it on the Pirate Bay and. <laughs> Uh, you know, this is the second film, bear in mind, Star Trek into darkness, you know, takes place in the kind of the alternate Star Trek universe that JJ Abrams created with his last film, which I loved. I really, really enjoyed the, you know, the, 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 the first I'll call, I'll call it the first Star Trek film. Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was just really well done, even though it didn't really have any moral story to it. Uh, which is one of the beauties of Star Trek is that it always kind of has a moral to it. Um, But anyway, Star Trek into darkness, they started to inject some, some morals into it. Overall, I really, I really liked it. Now, please don't misunderstand. Um, You know, I'm not going to turn this into like a movie review section of some kind. Uh, But I think this is important to talk about because again, Star Trek, you know like it or not is an important aspect of 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 culture especially american culture um and within to darkness you know it, it was an enjoyable film uh the action was intense obviously the effects were were top notch and amazing uh i really really enjoyed it i'm not giving anything away by saying this uh i really really like almost had tears in my eyes when the enterprise is coming up out of the water I thought that was so badass to see, like, like, I mean, I just never thought of that, you know, I, I never contemplated the idea, what if the Enterprise was underwater, you know, and it just does it, and like, even, you know, there's like, like, Scotty sees this fish go across the, uh, the view screen, you know, on the bridge, I mean, it, it's so cool, uh, so I loved that, that moment, um, if, you know, and, and maybe I should say spoiler alerts, right, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, maybe you don't want to listen to this. Uh, but I, I don't know how much I'm going to necessarily give away from what you already know. If you're, you know, really dying to see this movie and you can't, you know, you don't want any spoilers. I imagine you're probably one of those people that already knows everything that happened in the story anyway. Um, shockingly, I didn't, there was a lot of twists and turns that I, I, I just didn't know were going to happen. Um, you know, like I didn't research it, uh, so anyway, the opening scene <laughs> happens on a planet called Nibiru. Um, and I and I don't know how many times I've talked about on this show about, uh, you know, like Zachariah Sitchin, um, who now Nibiru is actually a Sumerian term or it's a term that was used by the Sumerians anyway. Uh, Sumerians on our planet thousands of years ago. And Zachariah Sitchin's theory goes is that Nibiru, uh, is this planetoid that swings in every 3,500 years or so, and that it's an inhabited planet by an invaried, by a very advanced species of, or by a very advanced species called the Anunnaki. Um, so anyway, that was obviously a reference to that. And there's on this Nibiru in Star Trek, there's, um, uh you know like a a primitive species there and they're trying to you know keep this they're trying to save this primitive species by keeping a volcano from wiping them out and kirk and mccoy are there and you know they're they're trying to to get they're trying to to get like this this uh primitive species you know to a kind of a safe place or whatever um and the whole thing, it it just turns into a clusterfuck of an away team mission, okay. And but there is so much that happens within it. I mean they 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 put straight up. They just they laid out the entire ancient alien theory, and they pretty much laid out a story where okay, guess what? If this was humans instead of this indigenous uh, you know race on Nibiru, this is how you got Torah you know this is how you got the bible right down to the volcano god and in fact even kirk like leaves this message Uh, like this, this, this book there that, that stops them. It's supposed to be like in their writing, telling them, you know, to get to safety and he leaves it there and it's, and it rolls down like a scroll even it's, I mean, it's so blatant what JJ Abrams was or Orky and Kurtzman, the actual writers uh, were doing with this, you know, that they were trying to explain away, okay, this is how religions start on other planets. Um, And of course, Star Trek has a, has a, a very atheist stance, even though, a lot of people talk about how Gene Roddenberry would reference the Great Bird of the Galaxy or something. Um, there, there's an episode of The Next Generation after Roddenberry died, of course, where uh, Picard, you know, gives this very impassioned speech. Where they do another episode that's kind of like ex- explaining an ancient alien or an ancient astronaut theorist uh, view of, of how people, you know, get religion. Uh, and Picard gives this, you know, great speech where he says, it's like, I'm not going to have this culture go back to a time of fear and superstition. Uh, and, you know, so, so again, Star Trek has a purely atheist bent. I really appreciate it doing that. Um, the other things with Into Darkness is it definitely had a lot about terrorism in it. Uh, you know, like, like buildings being blown up. Um, in fact, even like towards the end of the film, there's another, uh, starship that pretty much pulls off twin towers job, uh, you know, and, and it was in this case, it kind of was an inside job. (laughs) So, so, you you know, you sort of have that elements in there, the terrorism thing. And that's where some of the morality that the movie, uh, has, You know, comes in um, where, you know, they're told to go kill this guy, uh, even though he's on, you know, he's on like uh, the Klingon homeworld and Starfleet's not allowed to go to the Klingon homeworld because they're almost at war. Uh, So, yeah, tons of spoilers here. And, um, you know, and, and Spock is telling Kirk it's immoral. You can't just go and, you know, kill this guy. Uh, You know, because technically the person's like a Federation agent and he's human or, you know, essentially human, Uh, you know, you can't go kill him without some kind of trial. Starfleet regulations don't allow for that. And so, you you know, you get you're getting this argument about what's going on today where, you know, American citizens or anybody, any human really uh, can get pecked off by a drone, you know, just with an executive order or perhaps even less. And drones are also in on this or like an allusion to drones are are, are laid out on this with uh, these kind of special torpedoes. Of course, they end up being something completely different. But you get the idea that there's a lot of talk about all this foreign, you know, pretty much America's foreign policy gets laid out pretty well in this movie. Uh, and, you know, the crew like even Scotty resigns. He's like, you know, no. If I don't know what's in these weapons, this, these are the things, like I say, that I feel allude to drones. If I don't know what's in these weapons, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not letting them on my, on my ship. And Kirk says, it's like, no, you have to. You're going to sign for this. And he's like, no, it's like either they go or I go. And Kirk says, you go. And Scotty leaves. He resigns. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, which, which is remarkable in, integrity. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully you know, as a kid myself, as a kid, I took a lot of morality, um, from Star Trek. And in fact, that may be because, you know, when I was younger, when I was 17, I became an atheist and, uh, thinking about it, I mean, I could probably credit, uh, Star Trek with teaching me a lot more morality than the Bible or Torah ever did. Um, you know, and so maybe that's why I was able to kind of like see away so well from that because I had morality based on, uh, case in points, you know, with like these, 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 you know, tremendous stories that often reflected what was really happening right now and not 6,000 years ago. Um, so anyway, so, so you have all that in, in Star Trek, uh, into darkness, uh, a very grim film, I have to say, uh, there was some funny points. Uh, there's a point where Kirk's in bed with two women. I think they both have tails or at least one of them did. I thought that was pretty cool. And he's listening to the beastie boys. Uh, you know, that was a nice touch. One of my biggest problems with a lot of science fiction is that there's never any sex in it. Uh, and this one at least had a hint of it just as the last one did. Um, and well, Star Trek's pretty good on the sexual stuff a lot of times actually, uh, You know, even though they never get really explicit with it, which which whatever Uh, uh, the other things I liked about it. There was a lot of references. They were a little over the top, but there was a lot of references to things that were done um, in the Star Trek main universe uh, like. McCoy does, uh, you know, does work on a torpedo in this, which uh, is like a reference to in Star Trek six when him and Spock are doing surgery on a torpedo. Uh, there's uniforms that look very much like the uniforms from, from Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, which was the actual real first Star Trek movie and my personal favorite. Uh, so I liked that. I thought those were nice touches. Um, and And outside of the main universe, there was there's a scene where. An Admiral is walking around and and there's like all these ships. I'm guessing they're all the Enterprise. Uh, But anyway, you see all of them. In fact, you even see the ship. Speaking of Star Trek, the motion picture, you even see the ship that's in like one of the uh, one of the the backlight paintings in the recreation deck on the Enterprise that, you know, you never really hear about. But there's a model of that there. There's a model of the Phoenix. um, And then there's also... Model of the NX-01, the the very first Starship Enterprise, uh, you know the Warp Five Starship Enterprise, which I thought that was really cool because that's their way of saying yes, this is an alternate universe, and guess what? Everything that happened in Enterprise happened, and that was and and this isn't the first time. In in the the last movie that J.J. Abrams did, there was a a point where Scotty talks about Admiral Archer's dog. Now, Admiral Archer, of course, is a reference to Jonathan Archer. Uh, who at that point would be over a hundred years old, but they confirmed, uh, Orky and, and Kurtzman confirmed that. Yes. Jonathan Archer is still a captain or admiral at the time. Jonathan Archer is still alive in this universe. Uh, and that's, you know, probably one of his beagles like, like, uh, Porthos that he had had in the show enterprise. So great touch. I love that. I love the references to enterprise because it's really, it's one of my favorite star Trek shows. um, And it never gets enough love from a lot of people, from a lot of the fans. And it got canned way too early. Always a shame on that. I'm always, I've always, I always feel bad that, 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 that ended. So, um, especially when the fourth season, when it got really, really good. So again, you know, it had, it had enough, it had enough to it where it was a lot of, a lot of fun, uh, and, and it had a lot of excitement and it had some morality, uh, so I don't know if it was, I don't know if I want to say it was better than the last film, but it was on par, you know, it, it was, it was, it was close enough. It was, it was good. Uh, and I believe it's safe to say Stephanie enjoyed it too. Uh, yeah, yeah. She enjoyed it. She, she confirms that the producer confirms that, 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 um, that, that she did enjoy the, enjoy the movie. Uh, so I look forward to the next one and the next one, unfortunately though, will probably be about, uh, a war with the Klingons. Um, but you know, that, that's something when I, years ago when I wasn't so much the peace I guess you could say, uh, I wanted to see huge Star Trek battles that just never really happened. Like you heard about them or you saw them for two minutes, but you never saw like a really big one. And so I'm guessing the third movie is probably going to be that. So, you know, that'll appeal to a part of me, admittedly. Uh, so star trek into darkness i recommend watching it i mean i I i thought it was pretty good um and just you know look for the messages in there but i think in the end all the morals turn out you know pretty decent uh and i actually really did like the ending and there's some quotes in there like you think the rules don't apply to you jim and he says no they don't i love it anyway maybe the rules don't apply to brian sovereign see you next week
0: This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's sovryn techcom There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds.